Young, back to throw. In trouble, he's going to be sacked. No, gets away. He runs, gets away again, goes to the 40, gets away again, to the 35, cuts back at the 30, to the 20, the 50, the 10. He dies, touchdown, 49ers. What's up, faithful? Welcome to another edition of the 49ers Web Zone No Huddle Podcast. I am Rob Stats Guerrera alongside Levin Black. Zane is not going to be able to join us this week, so it's you and me again, Levin. You ready? Oh, I'm ready. All right, let's kick it off and remind you that the 49ers Web Zone No Huddle Podcast is brought to you by theqbsneak.com for accurate predictions on every NFL matchup and thought-provoking NFL content that can help your fantasy teams or confidence pools. Head to theqbsneak.com. Dot com. God knows I could have used that because my fantasy teams were terrible. Fortunately, the team I root for is not terrible. San Francisco coming off another last-second win, Levin, this time against the Rams. It wasn't pretty. I was very doubtful throughout most of the game, but thanks to two third and 16 conversions, the 49ers get the walk-off field goal from Robbie Gold, and all is well in 49er land going into the biggest game of the year. Yeah, I think this is probably the most negative I've been during a game, uh, as my Twitter history would show, and as some <laughs> fans have been still commenting uh, as of this recording, that uh, I probably went a little too far in some Shanahan criticisms, but uh, a win is a win. It's good to be 12-win team, regardless of it, but I am sick of last-second deciding games. <laughs> I mean, it is. It's been incredible. I mean, you have the Rams game. The, Ra- the Falcons game, the Ravens game, the Saints game. I, especially, it seems like the bigger the game, the later it, it gets decided. Yeah, the, the only reprieve that there's been is that Green Bay game. Other That's than true. that, the last like six weeks have all been these nail-biters, uh, games that have had some very frustrating quarters, frustrating halves, and then also some heroics at the end. So, it, I mean... As my wife can attest, I almost lost my voice when that pass was caught. Because when he let that fly to Sanders, that last, you know, the game clinching pass, with the way he was being hit as he threw it, and the way it got so much loft on it, I was like, "Oh, here comes a pick." He just had to throw it up because he needed to give them at least a chance. And then all of a sudden, I see Sanders all by himself. I was like, "What's this?" So it just kind of caught me <laughs> off guard and. I screamed about it as loud as I could. My dogs were scared, and <laughs> my wife well was uh, annoyed. <laughs> no, it, and apparently Garoppolo said that he was worried also that it was going to be intercepted because he he knew that the guy clipped his arm a little bit. I mean, can we just let's start there then? Let's talk about that throw. That's an incredible throw by Garoppolo. He's in the pocket. He can't step into the throw at all because there's pressure in his face. He's got guys all around him. It's basically pure arm. And he launches a high pass about, what, 45 yards downfield right into the arms of Emmanuel Sanders? I mean, it was an incredible throw for a guy who's gotten criticized all year long, even on some of his good throws. Well, it, it's it's going to come off as probably being hyperbole saying this, but it, it's absolutely true. That is a throw that Jimmy G might be the only person in the league that can make. And the reason I say that is he probably has the quickest release in the league. And if he had any bit of a slower release, that's a duck that goes 20 yards. Because, I mean, he's already being hit as he released it. Not only that, but Jimmy Dree, I mean, it's one of his criticisms. He doesn't necessarily set his feet when he throws. He's constantly throwing off. And yet he still gets zip on the ball. So it's kind of one of the ultimate Jimmy G throw because it took an extremely quick release and somebody who can get a lot on a ball despite having horrendous footing to do it. It was, I mean, the ball's in the air, and all of a sudden you hear the play-by-play guy, and his voice gets higher before the ball's even caught, and he he realizes, I think, when we did, Emmanuel Sanders is wide open. I don't know what the Rams' safety was doing playing on the, on the outer third of the field when clearly Jalen Ramsey thought he was going to have help in the middle of the field. But thank God for that, because, I mean, it was one of the most incredible plays of the entire year and probably in the, in the last three years. Now, a lot of Niners fans wanted Jalen Ramsey, and one, from what I have read, most people believe that was on Jalen Ramsey. He, he was supposed to recognize the outer 
route oh. being run and know that the safety was going to be further out and he was supposed to sink deeper. I've read multiple people that I, I value quite a bit for their ability to watch film and break it down saying that Ramsey should have recognized that and sunk deeper in his coverage and didn't. But not only that, but did you see his press game, press con- or his post game press conference? I did not know. Okay. He completely threw the safety under the bus, saying, <laughs> "I don't know what he saw." Blah blah blah. You know, I did what I was supposed. You know, I mean, it, it was a bad, and he did it with you know like animosity. You know, like the "I am annoyed you're asking me questions. Let's get it over with" type attitude. And all he did was throw his teammate under the bus and took no blame for it. Wow, that's the type of guy that they gave two first round picks for who, by the way, is not locked up yet with a long-term contract. They're going to have to re-sign him. It's going to be interesting. The Rams have all sorts of problems they're going to have to deal with. In the final 10 minutes of the game, Jimmy Garoppolo, 6 of 8, 134 yards, one touchdown, and a passer rating of 156.3. Can we finally, finally put the Jimmy Garoppolo criticisms about him and whether he can get it done in a big spot to rest? Uh, yeah, considering one, he needs 307 yards to have a 4,000 yard passing season. First person to do that in almost two decades for the 49ers Two, he needs three touchdowns to have a 30, pa- 30 touchdown passing season. First person to do that in almost two decades. And by the way, he also has four fourth quarter comebacks and four game winning drives this season alone, not to mention the 12 and three record and, and some other statistics. Yes, he has some bad interceptions, but when you look at it overall, he still only has 13 interceptions, which is more than average in today's NFL, but that's still not a really bad high number. He has 27 touchdowns passing, so he has better than a 2-to-1 ratio. He's, uh, I believe, fourth, uh, at least he's in the top five. I can't remember if he's fourth exactly in passer rating. Oh, uh, passer rating? He has 101 passer rating. This is a guy that's very clearly, you can't really argue against him being a top 10 quarterback, and he has at least some arguments for being a top 5 quarterback in the league this year. So, I mean, what's the argument? I agree. I mean, you mentioned it, 101 quarterback rating. That puts him ninth in the league. There's only three guys in the NFL right now that have more touchdown passes than Jimmy Garoppolo. One is Russell Wilson, who we all hate. Two is Jameis Winston, who also has about 30 interceptions to go along with his 31 touchdown passes. And the other is Lamar Jackson, who's going to win the MVP. So, I mean, you've brought this up before, Levin. I I think it was you. If you wrote down those numbers at the beginning of the year and said, this is what Jimmy Garoppolo is going to do, everybody would sign for that. Right. I mean, he's had some really bad interceptions which has made it look worse than it is especially early in the season if you take his second half of this season all that gets even better so i mean I, I don't see how there's any argument anymore and i guess i was wrong on that it's not passer rating that he's fourth it's uh, touchdowns that he's fourth but still he, he's got a passer rating over 100 on the season i mean if you're arguing that that guy's not good <laughs> You might want to just be quiet because you're not a very smart football guy. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned arguments. I know that we were having arguments during the game with our text messages about certain strategies that the 49ers were using or not using. What was your biggest frustration with that game on Sunday? The lack of run game. Shanahan, I mean, the Niners are still getting their wins and they're still in position for the number one seed. So it's hard to criticize two harshly but at the same time i mean when the niners dominated in the first half of the season how did they dominate that's when jimmy jury is getting criticizing because he wasn't really needed why mm-hmm. was he not needed because they were ramming it down opponents throats they were running until a team showed they could stop the run and only then would they go to the pass lately in the second half of the season some of it is the niners are playing better opponents but the offense has not been consistent there's been some games like the New Orleans games. They're on. They're unstoppable. There's been other games wh- where they're hit and miss. They have a good drive followed by three terrible drives. That was this past Sunday. You know they they they've just not been consistent. And what are they doing? They're pass, 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 pass. They only run to kind of sprinkle it in and try to keep a defense honest. But they're really not running enough to keep a defense honest. And what does everybody say this offense is predicated on? Whether it's McVeigh running it. 
whether it's LaFleur running it, anybody that runs this Shanahan offense, whether you want to call it Mike Shanahan's offense or Kyle Shanahan's offense, whatever, it's predicated on play action. What does it take for play action to be effective? The threat of running. <laughs> when you're doing play action on first down and passing nine times out of ten, teams are going to tee off on you. They're going to come after you because they're going to they're going to want that sack. And if you're doing play action, they have time to get to that sack. And that's what we're seeing. If you watch it, teams are not respecting the run at all on first down. They are teeing off like it's a third and long because if it is a play action, they got a good chance of getting home. Uh, yeah, I, it just seems like for long stretches, Kyle Shanahan like forgets he's allowed to run the ball. And it's so frustrating because, one, it puts more pressure on Garoppolo. He's under more pressure just because the defense is not planning on stopping the run. And it, it look, the 49ers don't have the best weapons in the world. Kittle's amazing, yes. Emmanuel Sanders has been solid, but it's not like you know they're running out the 94 Niners here. So if you're not going to have a, that little bit of deception, that little bit of creativity, you're going to put your team in a worse position than you would if you would just run the damn ball. It drives me nuts. Right, and it's not like the run was ineffective. Moheem uh, Mostert finished with 11 rushes for 53 yards, just under five yards per carry. And even early in the game, it's not like he got one chunk play. I mean, he did have, I believe it was a 16-yard touchdown, but... Going into the fourth quarter, I believe he had seven total rushes for 40-something yards. I mean, they were able to run the ball. They just were ignoring the run. And I don't know why, because the pass was completely ineffective until right at the end of the game. They still got the win, but why weren't they running the ball? Why didn't they test that out? I don't get it. I don't know why he, one, didn't use Mostert enough, in my opinion, but two, where was Brita? I mean, yes, this is Brita is the guy that up until he got hurt. I mean, three, four games into the season, people were the popular thing to do with him on Twitter was go RB one RB one. Every time he had a big play because they were saying he's the best running back on the team. And he does, he gets yards in chunks. I mean, he has the nickname Cheetah for a reason and he's been healthy the last two weeks. Yeah. He, he did fumble twice last week, but, he literally did not get a chance this game. He played zero offensive snaps. He played, I believe, nine special team snaps. How did he get so far in the doghouse? I, that's what I don't understand either. And it's interesting. Different guys appear to get in Shanahan's doghouse at different times. I mean, Dante Pettis has basically taken a permanent residence there and has since before the season even started. And now, for whatever reason, maybe it was the fumbles. I mean, Shanahan denied that when he talked to the media this week. But, you know... I don't really trust a lot of what coaches tell the media during their press conferences. Especially fumbled. Shanahan. Yes, exactly. So maybe that's the reason why. And Shanahan can say, look, we've got other good running backs on the team, so you better get your stuff together. But he can't be a spectator because he's that's the strength of the team, as you've said. So, you know, can't be stubborn, Kyle. I feel like he gets so stubborn sometimes, whether yeah. it's refusing to to run or, or with playtime decisions or I I don't know. I mean, again, like they won and we should be happy. And I, I get that. But there was a lot of frustrations. Um, for me, my biggest frustration is I feel like Kyle is still coaching like the defense is playing as well as they were earlier in the season. And whether it was last week or this week on fourth down, some of these fourth and shorts, Kyle's got to go for them. He can't be punting the ball away and, and trying to put it on his defense. The defense has given up like 30 points a game. This game, we saw it. It was fourth and four from the Rams' 38-yard line in the third quarter. The Niners were up 24-21. He intentionally takes a delay a game that McVay smartly declines, and then he punts it away anyway. And I know it was a good punt, but you've got the ball. You've got control of the game. You're winning by three points. Your offense right now is your best unit, and you take the ball out of your hands of your best unit and put it into a unit that's basically been on skates all night and I don't know why he keeps doing this. What I don't get is, uh, what do you have to lose? If you're inside your opponent's 40-yard line, unless it's a 4th and 10-plus, go for it. And that's not just some fan who has no repercussions for saying go for it, saying that, but the analytics back it up. Yes. Go for it. It is statistically 
advantageous to go for it in that situation. Worst case scenario, well, I shouldn't say worst case scenario because obviously there's turnovers and things, but if you don't get it, what do you do? You give the ball up on your 38? That's not terrible. I mean, that that's not good, but you can certainly recover from that. Best case scenario is you break the will of the defense and you almost definitely get points. It's worth it. I agree. And that's what, if you think your defense is good enough to stop them after a punt, you don't think it's good enough to stop them if they get the ball from the 38? Like, that's the confusing thing to me. I mean, you're the most creative play caller, right? Like, you're the offensive genius. You're the guy that's, that's going to get defenses off balance. You got a play sheet for third and 16. You don't have third and four on there? I mean, come on. I, I just feel like he... He said in the beginning of the year that he adjusted his play calling because the defense was so good, and I think he needs to make the adjustment back. I don't know that he's done that yet, uh, but I hope he will, especially in this game against Seattle. You know, when you play these teams that are good, one or two of these decisions could decide the game. Now, I don't want to make this all negative because the Niners did win, but let's talk about that defense. Where the heck is the pass rush? Because... <laughs> Yes, they're getting pressures, but pressures in all reality don't mean a whole lot. They're nice, they're needed, but unless there's a sack that comes with it from time to time, they don't do a whole lot. The Niners are getting a lot of pressures with Boza, Armstead, and Buckner, but those three guys are all Pro Bowl caliber players, all pro arguably caliber players. There's no reason that those three alone shouldn't be able to destroy an offensive line and get sacks at least some of the time. They're not getting home. Now, some of that is teams are purposely getting away from them. They are literally rolling their quarterbacks out to the other side, away from Boza's side, because they know there's Joe Schmo over there that's not going to be able to get home. But when you have two dominant interior pass rushers and Boza, you should be able to get sacks. And I think I have to say it, Part of that is the fact I don't think they've adjusted defensively to the reality of the situation. Why aren't we blitzing a guy on that other side? Blitz a guy on the outside of the away from, you know, on the opposite side of Boza. And guess what? The quarterback can't escape. Let your stars get home. You know, that outside linebacker, whoever you have rushed from the other side, doesn't necessarily have to get the sack. He just has to be wide enough and penetrate up to keep that quarterback from escaping. You do that, you allow your interior all-pro caliber lineman to push inside, quarterback can't get away there, and you Boza on the outside on the other side, quarterback can't get away there. Quarterback's got nowhere to go, he's got to stay in the pocket. I don't get it. Blitz. Early in the season, you didn't have to blitz because you had D Ford on the other side. Now you don't. Send one blitzer. Change the defense. Adjust to your personnel. Yeah, I agree. Adjust defensively. And I feel like sometimes the Niners are one of those teams that just says, well, this is what we do on defense. We're coming to get you. And that's, I'm sorry, like that's just not going to, you saw it in the Rams game. How many bootlegs did we see from the, every other pass was a misdirection. It was a, a bootleg one way or the other. And for the entire first half, the 49ers had no answer for it. It was infuriating. Right. So I think we should Start, move on to get to the Seahawks game, but before we do that, we need to do game balls, and I'll go ahead and give out Zane's. He did text us to his game ball, and we need to go with his first because it's the obvious choice, in my opinion. It's Fred Warner. That pick six changed the game. Without it, the Niners, I don't think, have a chance of winning and likely get blown out with the way the game is going to that point. So Zane's got Fred Warner. I'll allow you to pick second couple different options here. Uh, I actually want to give out a game ball this week, unlike previous weeks. I'm going to give mine out to Jimmy Garoppolo. He didn't play well for stretches of this game, but the one thing I've seen from him, even in the losses, you know, even in the first game against the Seahawks, when it's, when the, it's on the line and the game is in the balance, he makes plays. He gets the team in a position to win. And I, yeah, it was two third and 16s, and maybe there were some fluky plays, the opportunities were there, and he took advantage of them, and he's done it all year long. So I'm giving my game ball to Jimmy Garoppolo. All right. Well, I don't think there's a super obvious third choice because this was a game that was kind of more of a team win. There wasn't really a true standout performance offensively 
there wasn't a true standout performance defensively either other than Fred Warner. I mean, I, I guess I could go with Greenlaw because he had he did have 13 tackles, but I also saw him, uh, he had 13 tackles a lot because he was allowing his guy to get a couple yards behind him and he was allowing a lot of receptions and then picking it up. I think I, I got to go with Wisnowski. I mean, how many punts did he have to take and how many did he get down inside the the not only 20-yard line, but he had quite a few inside the 10-yard line. So I think this is one of those games that, honestly, the punter played a big role in and deserves a game ball. That's fair. Five punts for Wisnowski, 219 yards, four of the punts inside the 20. And like you said, some of them were even closer to, to the end zone than that. All right, you mentioned the Seattle game. So now let's get into it. And, and we're going to have a little help here with NBC Sports Northwest Seahawks insider and some would say a triple agent, so to speak. Joe Fan, currently of NBC Sports Northwest Seahawks insider from Seattle, then worked actually for the 49ers for a few years and now is back home in Seattle. Joe, thanks for a few minutes. Hey, appreciate you guys having me. First question, Joe, I have to ask right out of the gates. Is Marshawn Lynch coming back to the Seahawks? It sure sounds like it. Uh, you know, Pete Carroll, I mean, at this point, if he didn't sign, you know, Pete Carroll teased the fan base unnecessarily. So he was on the radio this morning talking about how excited he was about the potential. And I don't think you go down that road if you're not expecting it to happen. And so as, as Adam Schefter has reported at the time of us having this conversation, he has left his physical, the Seahawks are waiting on the results. But I would expect to see Marshawn Lynch in that number 24 Seahawks jersey in week 17 against the Niners. All right, so I, I got to ask you, because this has got to be a very weird predicament for you personally. So I'm going to ask a personal question. How conflicted are you being somebody that worked for the 49ers for the last four years, but now being somebody that's back in his home city of Seattle covering the Seahawks? How conflicted oh, no, I mean, are you knowing both teams so well? Yeah, I mean, I'm... I'm just going to be honest for you with you. I'm, I'm not conflicted at all. I don't know. I mean, I have a job to do. I love my job. Uh, I'm not a fan of either team. I'm not pulling for either team. And, you know, I think if anything, I'm just very happy both teams are in this scenario to where I get to be at a game, you know, next Sunday that's going to be, you know, with so much, you know, at stake, basically a playoff game and the atmosphere should dictate as such. And so um, from that standpoint, I hope it's a great game selfishly and it's a lot of fun to cover and, and all that, you know, I hope it's not a route in either direction, but you know, I can't say I'm conflicted in any way. Now, before we get to the Niner game, I do have to ask you about this this past week against Arizona because I was absolutely stunned the way the Cardinals played in Seattle and in the Seahawks' performance as well. Is this sort of a speed bump, or do you think this is a sign of some actual issues that Seattle has to worry about? The Seahawks have always had issues you have to worry about. I mean, there's a reason why they've won 10 games by 10 points or less, which speaks to you know, them being talented in some areas, but also, you know, them getting lucky in some areas as well, right? I mean, that's just kind of how things go in, in close games, you know, and a lot of times it's not necessarily just about being good, it's about getting lucky as well, and the Seahawks have been lucky in, in moments this year, and so they're a good football team, but, you know, with the amount of injuries they have, I mean, they don't have a lot of room for air, and they played a terrible football game, and their results showed as much, and they got beaten by a team, you know, that has honestly played really good football this year. The Niners know that better than anybody. You know, the Cardinals gave them two really good runs for the number, for their money and, and could have won those games on both occasions. So, uh, you know, I think uh, the Seahawks just didn't, you know, didn't play well yesterday, and then they got their, their butts handed to them a little bit. Now, obviously, the Seahawks have some running back issues with all their injuries. They signed Turbin earlier today. They're likely going to have Lynch as well. But do you see them changing up their game plan at all? They they like to run the ball. Uh, a lot this season and in previous seasons, but without running backs who have been around all season, you expect them to lean a little more towards the pass. I don't think they're going to change what they do. I think that the reason why Marshawn Lynch and Robert Turbin are such ideal fits is because, you know, it should be a seamless transition. And, you know, I don't think those guys are going to take on Chris Carson's role where he's carrying the ball 20, 25 times a game. You know, it's going to be split between the two of them and possibly throwing in the rookie Travis Homer. But um, I wouldn't expect to see, you know, the Seahawks overnight try to become the Kansas City Chiefs. So just, that's not going to happen. So, um, you know, it's a, it's a loss, but I think the Seahawks believe both those guys are capable of making it happen for them, and um, they're not expecting any sort of drop-off. Now, do you agree with that strategy? Because as a Niner fan, anytime you take the ball out of Russell Wilson's hands, I'm happy. To me, I consider that a win. 
How do you feel about the Seahawks strategy? Yeah, I, mean, I think that's definitely something that could use uh, a facelift for sure. But, you know, at the same time, it's Pete Carroll's identity. He's going to want to run the football. And, you know, his belief is that running the football sets up the play action pass and all the things come off of, uh, you know, running the ball efficiently. And so um, that's just kind of his belief. And he's not going to change that for anybody. And so, um, you know, I do believe that they could get more out of Russell Wilson. But they also have a, 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 an offensive line that can't pass block worth a dang. You know, the 27th uh, ranked offensive line in terms of pass block win rate. They were absolutely awful. They're missing their left tackle. Dwayne Brown's out for at least a couple of weeks after having a minor knee surgery. Marco Jones, their backup, got smoked by Chandler Jones for four sacks uh, against the Cardinals. And so, you know, one of the, the other side of the coin is, okay, you're going to say, you know, have Wilson drop back more and more. Well, then what, you know, is he going to have any time to throw? Are guys getting open for him? You know, so there's so much more that goes into it, you know, beyond just saying, all right, we're just going to let Wilson go win it for us. Right. And and speaking of that Dwayne Brown loss, how big is that considering he was going to be the one likely matching up with Nick Bosa quite often? Do you, do you expect Seattle to maybe roll out Russell Wilson as we've seen other teams do against the Niners to kind of get away from that pass rush? I think you have to. The, the Seahawks would be unwise to, to not you know you replicate the game plan that has worked so well for other teams against the Niners. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely a concern. Dwayne Brown's loss, I think, is the biggest injury on the Seahawks roster. I mean, a lot of talk, obviously, of the running backs and Marshawn Lynch and all that. But, um, you know, between Quandre Diggs at safety and Dwayne Brown at left tackle, those are two injuries that could end your season, you know? You don't have your left tackle on a you know offensive line that struggled to begin with, and that's a huge problem. And you saw just how much of a problem it was against Chandler Jones and should uh, the Niners get the Ford back in week 17, you're looking at a whole much, you know, bigger problem. And so, yes, I, I do think um, the Seahawks have to get him on the move. You have to utilize play action, whether the running game is working or not. And you just got to hope that, you know, Russell Wilson can pull a rabbit out of his hat once again. Now, what about defensively for Seattle? Because last time they didn't have to worry about George Kittle. And obviously Kittle's going to be playing in this game, granted with bone chips in his ankle, but he seems to be superhuman in the fact that he still can be very effective. How do you think Seattle's going to try and attack George Kittle and take him away? Well, you got to double cover him. You got to do whatever you can to take him away because, you know, the Seahawks have been burned by tight ends this season. I mean, Gerald Everett and Tyler Higbee each went for 100 yards in two separate games against the Seahawks. And those are two guys that aren't anywhere near George Cal- uh, George Kittle's caliber. And so, um, you know, especially when you see the volume, I mean, George Kittle got 17, 18 targets, you know, a couple weeks ago. I mean, he has kind of been the uh, boomer bust part of their passing game in terms of, you know, it's either him or nothing. Granted, they had a couple big plays, obviously the big one to Emmanuel Sanders to help him win it against the Rams. But, you know, they've relied so heavily, and Jimmy Garoppolo has relied so heavily on George Kittle I think the key is, you know, he's going to get his, right? I mean, he can have 10 catches for 75 yards, even 100 yards, but you can't get him in the open field and let him break out, you know, 25, 35, 45-yard receptions um, and it can be explosive plays. And that's where that's what makes George Kittle so special is, you know, once he gets going, he's so hard to bring down. And so, you know, it really just comes down to you can't let him get going. And going along with that, I actually saw a very shocking stat to me earlier today and that's that Bobby Wagner has allowed more yards in coverage than any linebacker since 2013. And that was kind of a, his calling card. So as somebody that's been watching every game for Seattle this year, what is different about him this season that he's been not as great in coverage? Yeah, I don't know if it's necessarily his calling card opposed to other things that he does really well. But I don't know if you ever looked at Bobby Wagner and were like, I mean, yes, he's great in coverage. And he has, I don't, I don't, you know, I don't know if that was like, what you saw in him is like what makes him so beyond special. I think there have been times where he has, uh, you know, struggled in coverage, but the Seahawks have also asked him to, to be in coverage so much more. When you don't have that deep third safety in Earl Thomas, they've played so much more cover too, simply because they don't trust, um, you know, their, uh, their young safeties. That all changed when Quandre Diggs entered the lineup, but you saw the defense take a step forward uh, because they got to go back to that, you know, single high cover three. And Bobby Wagner is able to play down in the box what he's accustomed to. But when you're playing cover two, Bobby Wagner is essentially playing in the deep third. And so, so much more is going to go his way, you know, when you're patrolling really the entire middle of the field. And so, you know, he's put, had so much more put on his plate 
um, and he's handled some of it well. And other other times, you know, he's uh, he's made some mistakes to where you would have hoped for more from him. But um, I do think he's been put in a really tough spot given the deficiencies in Seattle's secondary. One of the huge factors the last time these two teams played was the pass rush the Seahawks were able to get. Clearly, Jimmy Garoppolo was flustered at times. It disrupted the entire offense. Do you look at that as sort of uh, something that was sort of a one special night kind of a performance, or do you think that the Seahawks can get that kind of pressure again this week? Well, it depends what Jadavion Clowney can do, if he can do anything. If Jadavion Clowney's not there, then the Seahawks' pass rush is not going to be near what it was in Week 10. Uh, and even if Clowney plays, he's not going to be you know, pre-injury Clowney that you saw in Week 10. Remember the injury was suffered in that game on Monday night and Seattle's overtime win against San Francisco. Um, you know, he hasn't been the same since. He's missed the last two games. He's going to be very questionable for this one. Who knows if he's going to be in the lineup, but I don't quite know if he is. I think right now, again, it's a coin flip. And so um, it really comes down to whether or not he's in the lineup. But regardless, I wouldn't expect it to be as dominant as it was, especially now that Mike McGlinchey and Joe Steele have gotten their kind of the rust shaken off a little bit and are back in the swing of things. Now, I've kind of read a few mostly Seahawks fans saying this in recent days, saying that this isn't really a rivalry because it's been so one-sided and you can't be a rivalry when it's so one-sided. Seahawks have won almost every game and it's certainly all the really meaningful games, but as somebody that has covered both teams, how big would you consider this rivalry? Um, I don't think it's what it was in you know, 2012 and 2013, but it's not a rivalry. You're still in the same division. You play twice a year. And up here, you talk about Washington and Washington State and the Apple Cup and how, you know, it's still a rivalry, even though Washington has won pretty much every year in the last decade, um, apart from, I think, one, one game. So it's still a rivalry, right? So, you know, yeah, it changes. It ebbs and flows in terms of how big it is and the animosity and all that and who's involved. But, um, you know, you can't tell me after what happened on Monday night in Santa Clara, you know, handed the Niners their first loss of the season, and especially what's at stake here in Week 17, basically a playoff game for both teams, so much on the line where both teams have to approach this as a must-win because you just need that first-round buy. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a rivalry, absolutely. Again, it can still be a rivalry without being what it was in the peak uh, Jim Harbaugh, Pete Carroll era. That first-round buy, I think, is critical for the Niners. I've said they can't make the Super Bowl if they have to play in the wild-card round. Do you think the same applies to the Seahawks? Yeah, I think it applies for every team in football, to be honest with you. I mean, I think the numbers back that up. Getting a first-round buy and hosting a divisional round game is the difference between making the Super Bowl and not making the Super Bowl. And so, um, you know, the Seahawks have been, you know, really good on the road. They're 7-1 and in the regular season. And so, you know, I, I guarantee you, should they lose the game in Week 17, they'll say, you know what, we were 7-1 and on the road. There's no reason why we can't win three straight. But the reality is, I mean, just the chances of that are so slim. So, yes, I would say the winner of this game has a great chance to make it to the Super Bowl. The loser does not. Now, the Seahawks will also be without Josh Gordon, who was suspended again. He had a couple of key catches in the first go-around. Do you see that as a big loss, or do you think the Seahawks are able to kind of fill in for him and make up the difference? It's a loss, definitely. I mean, I think he was better than what you have in David Moore and Malik Turner and uh, Jerron Brown. Um, you know, but at the same time, I don't think it's necessarily going to change. You know, if you're looking back and saying the Seahawks didn't make the Super Bowl, you're not looking at uh, necessarily that loss being the reason why. But it is significant. You know, he helped the Seahawks beat the Niners. That two massive catches on those third down slants, one of them against Richard Sherman. So, yes, certainly, you know, not having him, especially given what's replacing him, um, I think is uh, is a factor. You mentioned Richard Sherman. I'm curious, how is he viewed by Seahawks fans? Is he Does he get a lot of hate because he went to San Francisco, or is there just a genuine appreciation there for the fact that he was part of one of the most incredible secondaries we've ever seen? I think it's a little bit of both. I mean, I think everyone appreciates what he did, knowing what you know he meant to you know, the run that Seattle had in the, you know, the mid-2010s. Um, you know, he brought kind of a villain aspect to Seattle sports that really had never seen before, at least not in a long time, you know. No one's scared of the Seattle Mariners. No one was ever scared of the Seattle Seahawks. Um, you know, even in the, the years where they won, you know, four straight division titles, went to the Super Bowl and ultimately lost to the Steelers, no one looked at them, oh, I'm scared of Matt Hasselbeck and Sean Alexander. You know, they're the villains. You know, they're great teams, but it's different when you're hated. And I think Seattle really embraced kind of being the villain for once. And that was a lot, largely because of Richard Sherman. And so, um, you know, I think 
everyone appreciates that. But some of the people who, you know, still are, are detractors of Sherman, it's, it's because, you know, they feel like he threw Russell Wilson under the bus unnecessarily and, and never gave him his proper due. And, um, you know, that rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. And so you know, I think it, it, you know, people fall on both sides of the, the conversation. Now, I, I don't know how much you interacted personally with Sherman last year when you were covering the Niners, but just speaking from the history that you know and how he is as a person, how much do you think getting this win in Seattle would mean to him? I think it'd mean a ton. I mean, I can tell you last year when the Niners beat the Seahawks in a meaningless game, um, it meant a lot to him and the whole locker room reacted as such. So I can guarantee you they come into his old home uh, and they beat Seattle and win the division and claim a first round by and they're celebrating and they got, you know, the NFC champ t-shirts and all that stuff. I mean, uh, I can promise you there's going to be a game ball going at Richard Sherman and he's going to be emotional. He's going to be fired up and, and everyone's going to play into it and feed into it and be fired up for him. Now, if Pete Carroll were to knock on your door or call your cell phone and say, hey, look, you know the Niners very well. How would you attack them? What would your answer be? Well, the loss of DJ Jones has been huge. I think you've seen that, um, you know, over the course of the last couple of weeks since he's gone down. Um, you know, that for one, two, you can't let George Kittle, like I said before, get the explosive plays. And three, you've got to get Russell Wilson on the move. You've got to make that defensive line uh, move laterally, not just pin its ears back and be able to come at you uh, because that's when they're most deadly. And if you can't keep them on, uh, off balance uh, at all, or even a little bit on their heels, they're going to get after you, and they're going to be relentless, and they're going to ruin every single drive you have, much like Chandler Jones did on Sunday um, against the Seahawks in that win for Arizona. So I think those, to me, are the three keys. Is um, You know that they're a little bit weak in the middle of the defensive line, and they're missing a, a, a big guy there, and DJ Jones, who's had, having such a fantastic year. George Kittle, you can't let him get those 40-yarders and, uh, and ruin you there. Um, and then beyond that, you know, Russell Wilson's got to be – moving laterally side to side, um, you know, and, and keep that defensive line on its toes a little bit. Now, obviously, Seattle is kind of a special home field advantage with the crowd noise and just how crazy the 12s are, but especially when the Niners are coming to town. So I've kind of experienced that to a lesser degree in some of the teams I've covered in the past, back when I was a full-time journalist. But for you sitting in the press box, it, it's hard not to feel when you're in that type of atmosphere, even though you're, you're sitting in the press box and you're removed a little bit from that. So for the fans who maybe haven't been able to experience that, could you try to describe what it is like to be covering a game with that type of atmosphere? Uh, I, I don't think there's anything like a primetime game at CenturyLink Field, uh, I mean, point blank. Uh, and I haven't been to the Superdome, so that's maybe my one caveat. But you know, I've talked to plenty of people from around the league and that, the height of it in 2012 and 2013. Um, I mean, it was absolutely deafening. And what was maybe more impressive was the crowd goes completely silent, you know, when the Seahawks are on offense. And so that's the drastic shift in the volume is just so wild. I think it's, it's not you know, necessarily what the heyday is. You know, I think it's, you could probably compare it to peak Oracle Arena for the Warriors runs early on, you know, compared to what it was last year. Um, you know, when you see ticket prices increase and you, know, you kind of price out some of the fan base that was there originally and all that. But it's still an incredible environment it's going to be absolutely rocking. You're not going to be able to have a conversation with the person next to you if you're out in the stands. Um, and it's a whole lot of fun. You know, it's a, it's a fantastic environment. One of the best in all of sports, in my opinion. Um, and uh, which makes this one on, on Sunday, week 17, just so exciting. Second game between the Niners and Seahawks and both games by the time they're done could be considered the game of the year. He's Joe Fan from NBC Sports Northwest, Seahawks insider. Joe, we really appreciate your time. Thanks you. Hey, thanks so much for having me. Appreciate it. Thanks again to Joe Fan. We really appreciate his time. And, and he mentioned something right at the end there, Levin, that I want to get your take on. Because we know that playing in Seattle is crazy. The Niners played well in a hostile environment in New Orleans. But this is Jimmy Garoppolo's first game in Seattle. How do you think he's going to handle it? And how do you think the 49ers will handle it in a place where they haven't won this decade? Not as well as I hope. Because <laughs> that's, that's just how it is. It's just impossible to play extremely well in in an environment like that now there is one way to neutralize that and that's come out firing but that is definitely not been the Niners signature way of starting games it's the exact opposite actually because the defense tends to come out flat 
and the offense tends to come out flat, and then they end up recovering and getting the win. That's been the formula all season, that they come out flat, and then both coaches, both coordinators, whatever you want to call them, adjust, and that's been, honestly, the Niners' greatest strength other than just talent is both their offensive and defensive play callers are great at adjusting uh, to the flow of the game and, and coming up with something that ends up working. But this is going to be really tough because that crowd is going to be as loud as they've ever been. It's going to be a true playoff atmosphere. And not only that, it's going to be like an NFC championship game type atmosphere. In a lot of ways, it very well could be the NFC championship. So I think the Niners are going to have some struggles and they're going to have to uh, do some hurry up, some no huddles, do some hand signals. They're not going to be able to really huddle all that much. I think it, they just, I hope that they come out and can quiet that crowd a little bit, but I'm not anticipating that. I don't want to slight the Niners. I have to apologize. They won once in the past decade, once in 2011, but they've never beaten Pete Carroll and Russell Wilson in Seattle since they've been there. My, after watching all these train wrecks, because they've never even scored 20 points in Seattle, by the way, my sort of philosophy when you play there, you've got to do three things. You've got to run the ball. You have to tackle on defense and you have to, have to, have to avoid turnovers. And it seems like the 49ers are never able to do any of those things when they play in Seattle. And I actually think that the defense, the tackling on defense has suffered greatly over the past few weeks. I think that was one of their calling cards in the beginning of the year was guys were catching the ball, but they weren't getting yards after catch. They might break one tackle, but they weren't really getting far after initial contact. And I think as the season has gone along and injuries take their toll and guys are banged up, the tackling has gotten worse and that's led to some of the defensive struggles. And I think that has a lot to do with when the bye week was. Yes. When you have a week four bye week and you're into week 17, You've played nearly an entire season without a bye. Guys are wearing down. Guys are wearing out. And when you factor in all the injuries on the defense, guys are having to play a lot more snaps. And we saw some of that snap management last week where Boza and Buckner and Armstead were being subbed out on first downs in order to give them a rest and keep them fresher because in previous games they'd been playing 95% of the snaps and they were worn out by the end of the game which is no knock on them as somebody that a defensive lineman. It's very hard to play every single snap because your job is to burst off the ball right away. And then literally essentially wrestle with a dude who's just as big as you are. And that's your job over and over (laughs) and over and over again. It's hard to do that for 60 minutes or whatever you want to call it. Three hours, you know, whatever you want to call it in terms of amount of time. That's hard to do. It's going to tire out anybody. So they need to keep them fresher, and I think that has led to a lot of the missed tackles. You've also got to factor in the, that you have Fred Warner as a linebacker and two rookies, and that's going to lead to things, and then you're also missing Tart. And, boy, I did not anticipate how big of a loss that would be. You know, I, I respect Tart. I thought he was a, a quality player, an above-average player which I think overall talent-wise he is, but for the Niners, he's a huge key because Marcel Harris has been he's a sick. major problem. <laughs> he ain't it. Uh, sorry. I mean, I feel like every time there's been an issue in the, on the secondary, we're looking, who is it? Oh, there's number 36 again. I mean, whether it was the end of the Falcons game with Julio Jones or even plays last week, I, yeah, he's been... a a source of frustration for me, for sure. Uh, you mentioned the linemen getting rest. You're right. They played 51 snaps, did Bosa, Buckner, and Armstead. That was 73% of defensive plays. So for almost a quarter of the defensive plays, those guys were off the field. And I think that was a smart adjustment by Shanahan because he recognized these guys can't play 90% of the snaps every week. Yeah, and you also had to recognize what's coming. Would they mm-hmm. play 90% of the snaps this week? They might. Just because of what this game means. You know, play 90% of the snaps, get the win, and get the bye. That's what you're looking at. So 90% of the snaps against the Rams could be a lot different than 90% against the Seahawks, too, because hopefully Seattle's going to want to run the ball, whereas the Rams want to run about 90 plays a game. <laughs> yeah, and the Rams don't want to run at all. McVay, I, I mentioned it a couple weeks ago that Shanahan, had, had, 
it might have been on Twitter, not on the podcast. Now I'm thinking about it. That Shanahan's doing his McVeigh impression because McVeigh did this. He's been he did it before I got before Shanahan tried to make it cool. <laughs> he abandoned the run. The Rams dominated teams offensively when Gurley was getting stuffed down teams' throats, and then they passed through play action. The Niners were dominating teams when they ran it down their throats and then passed through play action. Both coaches got that, and then they had one game where they had to pass a bunch to win, got the win, and they go, hey, we're just going to pass all the time now. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, let's, let's hope that they avoid that this week. Uh, we talked about it a little with Joe Fan, the return of Kittle. I mean, the offense is totally different when he's there. Do you feel confident that with Kittle, the Niners will move the ball more effectively than they did when they played Seattle earlier this year? I don't think there's any question about that. And and it's not just that Kittle's a great player. He's also he's particularly going to be effective at attacking what has been Seattle's weakness, and that's the middle of the field defensively. Like Fan mentioned that. They haven't had as good of safety play this season because they lost Earl Thomas. It's been better of late since they made that trade, but it hasn't been that great. And as I mentioned, Bobby Wagner has had a very bad season in coverage. As fan, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to call him terrible because he's not a terrible linebacker. A lot of it is true. What what Joe Fan was saying that he's been put in a bad situation and he's given up so many yards because he's been in coverage almost every single play. But that's something that didn't happen in the past. This defense didn't give up yards to tight ends. They did not give up the middle of the field. They are this season and that's Kittle's biggest strength. So that is going to be a very interesting scenario because I'm guessing it's going to be a lot of Bobby Wagner trailing Kittle. And can he stay with him? Can he do better than he has so far this season? Can he be the Bobby Wagner of old? The Bobby Wagner that's a 99 rating in Madden. <laughs> you know, and I'd like to see if if Wagner is trailing Kittle in the middle of the field. Can we get a little dump off to a running back out of the backfield? And maybe that's more on Jimmy than Kyle. But I feel like the checkdowns have not been part of the offense recently with Jimmy he's always trying to push it down the field like sometimes you just got to take the the three or four or five yard gain and live to play another down have you noticed that or is that just my sort of bias well I think that is partially on Jimmy as he admitted I also think it's partially on that the offensive line has had a bunch of injuries and if if you watch you'll see Kittle staying in more Mm -hmm. but when Kittle does go off for a pass route which is the preferred thing you're having those running backs and those typical dump-offs staying in the block because the offensive line needs it, and that's an adjustment Shanahan had to make because of the offensive line injuries. He's had to keep that running back in or, or keep juice in more and not allow them to leak out because if he doesn't, no play will work. They'll get blown <laughs> up because the offensive yeah. line is so riddled with injury. All right, so let's wrap up this podcast with our predictions. Uh, let's go Zane first since he's not here. He said reluctantly that he's picking Seattle 27-24, that until the 49ers show that they can win in Seattle against Russell Wilson and Pete Carroll, he's not going to pick them. So 27-24, Seattle for Zane. Levin, what do you think? Uh, I think he has a good chance of being right, but I really don't want to pick Seattle. And I can't <laughs> bring myself to do it. it. This is one of those games the Niners should win. I mean, they're favored... That's in incredible. Vegas or whatever you want. They're favored in the betting. So they should win. They're favored to win, even though it's in Seattle. And Seattle has all these injuries they're suddenly dealing with. You know, the Niners have a lot of injuries too. Yeah. But Seattle's are right now. They all have a lot of them happened last week. They lost Dwayne Brown. They lost Chris Carson. And I uh, forget the their third string running back. Who CJ also got yeah. And they'd already lost Penny, their second string. So they're down all three running backs all of a sudden. Plus, they're really good left tackle. I don't know if you want to call him all pro or whatever. I mean, he, he was voted, from what I've heard, the Niners defensive lineman voted Dwayne Brown for Pro Bowl. That's how much they respect him. So Seattle is going to have to figure out what works and what doesn't work in this game. And they're going to have to figure it out quickly because this is the first week they're without him and they're playing perhaps the best team in the league. So... I guess a long-winded answer is I'm not allowing myself to pick Seattle because I don't want to 
sit there and feel good when Seattle wins going, well, at least I was right. <laughs> so I'm going to go the Niners, and I do think this is going to be higher scoring. I think both defenses are going to have issues. I think because D Ford, I don't think is going to play the Seattle is going to be able to allow Russell Wilson to escape out that side. And Russell Wilson is deadly when he's on the run. So I think they'll put up points. I think they'll get into the twenties. I think they'll get 27 points, but I think the Niners are going to score a lot as well. And I think they're going to get 31. So I'm going 31, 27 Niners. Wow. See, that's the test for me. And this is a test for Garoppolo and Shanahan and the whole regime here. Like I said earlier, the 49ers have never even scored 20 points in Seattle against Pete Carroll's defense. Let's see them do it. Let's see, you know, you're the, the offensive genius here. You're the guy that's revolutionizing football. This is the test right here. I know the Seahawks defense is not as good as it's been in recent years, but I need to see it. I want to see it. I don't think we're going to see it. I honestly, I, I hate to say it, but I think Seattle's going to win this game. I think the 49ers are going to be the five seed. If I had to put an actual score on it, I think it's going to be something like 28-17 Seattle. I I just, I'm a kind of like Zane. I don't want to get my hopes up, you know? Like, I, yeah, this year's different, and the 49ers are so much better. Nope, no. How many times have we seen this movie? You know, I, I just can't bring myself to pick San Francisco. I'll be rooting like crazy. Don't get me wrong, although I did take the Seahawks in the points. But that's not the point. Seahawks yeah, are going to win. I think it's just as likely that you guys are right and that I'm dead wrong. And I think it's just as likely that I'm going to be like Jim Carrey and Ace Ventura. When he finally <laughs> makes the connection, I'm going to be in the shower with a bunch of gum and feeling all dirty because the Niners lost once again to Seattle. Seattle once again squashes the Niners' hearts. I mean, it, the amount of times that's happened in the last 10 years is, is truly sickening. It, it is so odd and so weird that one team has been able to do it time and time again. And this is, look, you could say that the Niners are a year ahead of schedule if you want, but look, years like this do not come around often. Things have to line up in weird ways for you to have Super Bowl windows like this. The Niners have a Super Bowl team this year. They absolutely do. But none of that will matter if they cannot win this game because, like I said earlier, I don't think they can get to a Super Bowl if they don't get a bye in the first round. And I just want to say, in case it comes to fruition, I think it's absolutely ridiculous the Niners could be 12-4 and four and be the f- last seed in the NFC. That is a possibility that the Niners could be 12-4 and four and be the sixth seed. As of this recording, obviously Minnesota, Green Bay is happening right now. If Minnesota loses that game the Niners could be at worst the five seed. Totally agree with you. It's ridiculous. And they could be in a similar situation in the years to come because I think the NFC West is going to be an absolute battle for next year and years after that. So that's going to do it for this week's edition of the 49ers Web Zone No Huddle Podcast. And once again, reminding you that we are brought to you by theqbsneak.com for accurate predictions on every NFL matchup and thought-provoking NFL content that can help your fantasy teams or confidence pools head to theqbsneak.com. He's Levin Black. I'm Rob Stats Guerrera. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next week.